good evening, everyone. It's lovely to see you all. And uh, not just at Easter, but we say, He's risen. Isn't that good? It's Easter all around, isn't it? We are a 24-7 Easter celebratory people, not just at a certain time. Now try this one. And points on a postcard, please. Christos Aneste. And uh, you see, he finds out, if it all sounds Greek to you, it's a load of Greek. <laughs> there are some Greeks here and it's good. Well, that brings me quite nicely because um, my son, my younger son, is in Greece as a pastor. I think I might have shared that the last time, Tim. And they're expecting their second um, uh, child. We know it's a little girl, so it's two girls on, on route, one already born. And um, just to report that uh, the last time I came here, I think they had about 18 or so coming to their... Um, small little church. They've got about 38 now. So they've grown exponentially, really, in the most difficult area. In, uh, it's a place called Exarchia in, in Athens, and it's, if you like, a really difficult place. And the, uh, the security police don't even go there because it's so dangerous, apparently. And it's recorded all over Europe, apparently, this one place. Greece is quite famous for a lot of things, as you know, in the news. So, you know, do pray for Tim and Alex, his partner, um, you know, he's fellow, the two pastors together working uh, in partnership. And he's also just got married. Um, and they're both young and very tender and very inexperienced, but the Lord is blessing. And uh, so do remember them. But just to say one little testimony that Kathy and I experienced over the weekend. Um, you know, there are times when you say, I'm definitely not going to go shopping today. But for some reason, women have got this amazing ability. I don't know where it comes from, it must be in the creation, that they can go shopping. And they feel that they should go shopping. And it was on Good Friday, and I thought, well... And Kathy said, we really need to go, because I need to get some stuff. And I said, really? She said, yes. I said, really? She said, yes. <laughs> so we went, under great... Um, and just before we went, somebody called at the door, and there was a real mercy mission. So our time was cut even short, and I kept looking at the clock. You know what it's like when you want someone to leave quickly. <clears throat> you know, I love you, but <laughs> we've all been there, haven't we? And anyway, I, we just, I thought, oh, I kept looking, I thought, my, my is that a time? Good gracious me. But then this, this uh, person left, and we got in the car, and rushed off to Costco's, and parked it, and it was full of cars on Good Friday, what do you expect? You know, and we went in, it was chock-a-block, and I thought, oh no, what are we going to do? So we started, you know, started picking bits and pieces, and I thought, well, the quicker, quicker we're out of here, the better. And Kathy and I don't often speak in Greek when we go out. We do speak in Greek, but on this one occasion, we just happened to speak in Greek, you know. And Kathy was at one of her favourite places where the shoes are. I mean, where um, <laughs> foot pediments. <laughs> the handbag store was a little way away. I thought, well, I better not go there. So she tried on, you know, a little comfy shoe, but it didn't fit. And we were talking in Greek, and there was a lady next, and she kept looking at us. And she was a Cypriot lady, and she said, she looked at Kathy, and she said, are you Greek, you know? And then she said, is he Greek? <laughs> so I said, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> and clearly I'm not Greek. You know, I am a fine Hampshire gentleman, but not a Greek. So... Anyway, she was amazed that I was talking Greek, you know. It was all Greek to her, and it was to anyone else. And then she, she said, where are you from? I said, well, I'm Sri Lankan. She said, oh. And she went round the corner and brought her Sri Lankan friend. Now, what are the chances of a Greek with a Sri Lankan friend meeting a Greek with a Sri Lankan? 
we must have spent about 40 minutes chatting and we shared our faith. And that same night, this lady, the Sri Lankan lady, she sent me an email saying, we thought you were lovely people. We paid her to say that, by the way. Thought you were lovely people and we'd love to meet up. And so I got her email, we're going to meet up for a coffee. How the law works, how, how could this be? Even in the most difficult time, but I shared that because I was a reluctant evangelist or the reluctant witness, you know, right? Exactly, the reluctant shopper. <laughs> and when it comes to paying, I have real difficulty getting the wallet out, it gets stuck somewhere. Do you have that, guys? <laughs> but, you know, it just shows you at the time we least expect it, the time we least ready. God just has a plan, hasn't he? And I had other plans, because I had work and things, but God said, no, this, I've got an appointment in Costco with these people. So just to show you, I thought it might encourage your heart. You know, in the ordinary, in the mundane, he's great. In the unexpected, he's the miraculous. It's just the way it works with God. And um, I thought I'd just encourage you, because in our normality, God just expects us to work for him. We don't need to be super spiritual. In fact, I don't, I've never met a super spiritual person. I've met lots of sinful people who've been saved and are on the road together with me. Praise God. Let's just pray and uh, see what the Lord has for us. Heavenly Father, Avenu Malkenu, Melecha Olam, King of all the universe, we just thank you this evening, Lord, that you know your people here. You know everybody seated in these seats. And Lord, for as much as they are expectant. Lord, I know it's only by your Spirit, opening up your Word, that we will get food tonight. And just as your people, Lord, who made that exodus trip out of Egypt, Lord, they had to leave. And we read that you passed over the land. But Lord, you didn't just pass over and gloss over sin. There was blood on the door, on the lintel in the sideposts. And only because there was blood did you pass over? And we thank you we come this evening because there is blood, the blood of the Messiah and you can pass over our sins and forgive us and not, and not only save us but Lord you give us a hope through the resurrection that we can look forward today when we will be with you. Jesus said I will not eat of this bread in this way until I do it anew in the kingdom of heaven. Thank you Lord. We look forward to that day and we thank you for the Easter celebrations and the holiday that we've had. But Lord, just take us on from tonight, from this place on. Give us direction. Speak to our hearts, we pray. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Kathy and I have not long returned from India. It was a business conference that I had to go and Kathy was with me. And, I've, you know, you look at magazines and... You know, you see things on the TV and in films and in the media. And we've got an idea about, you know, people in India and people in Africa, places that are very poor, you know, what we call third world countries, perhaps. But until you see something face to face, you don't really, you know, you don't really realise it. We were in a, a very, what's the word, exclusive, opulent conference in Ambi Valley, I mean, nothing was spared. We were driven around in Mercedes Benzes. <laughs> there were 36 of them. And they kept taking all the conference delegates all over because we were so far to get from one place to another. So we would, I've never driven in so many Mercedes Benzes for such a, you know, I've never been in a Mercedes Benzes. And that was amazing. 
And as soon as you drive out of this conference place, it's abject poverty. And you wonder, how could that be? How could that be? We don't get quite the same thing here, you know. I mean, you know, we drive from Watford up to Yateley, you know. <laughs> I mean, from the real tops in Watford down to Yateley, I mean, yes, you know, spare a thought. But you know what I'm saying? It, it was amazing. The difference was so stark. And Kathy and I thought so overcome, really, seeing there's people just trying to eat something on the sidewalk. And we had so much. We're like kings, aren't we, really, when we look at, when we see situations like that. And we really need to thank the Lord for what we have. And that inspired me a little bit. And especially at Passover, when uh, you know, a lot centers around food and celebration. So I'm actually going to be talking tonight about food, faith, and feasting. Hey, wait for it, wait for it. Food, faith, and feasting. So let's uh, turn, turn with me, if you've got your Bible. So Luke chapter 7. What is he going to say about food, faith, and feasting? I wonder. Luke chapter 7. I'm reading from verses 31 to 36. Luke 7, 31 to 36. Is that right? Yep, that's it. Oh, is that actually helpful if I turn to Luke? Because I'm in John. I'm wondering, why is that saying strange things? (laughs) At least you've got there before me. Are you all there? I'm reading from the New King James Version. So if you've got a different version, if you've got an NIV, who's reading from the NIV? Oh, one or two of you, I see you put your hand up with great reluctance. It's called the nearly infallible version, NIV. But if it's the AV, what's the always version, isn't it? I mean, you know, this face. <laughs> but it doesn't matter what version you've got, I'm sure it all makes sense. Okay, follow it with me then. Luke seven thirty-one to 36, this is what it says. And the Lord said, to what then shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say, he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. And verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Now, you know, I know Jesus was accused of a lot of things in his lifetime, wasn't he? He was accused of being a blasphemer. We know that. He called himself the son of God. We know that. And he was accused of, of uh, blasphemy because of b- calling himself or assuming the position of the Son of God, according to Jewish, Jewish eyes. He was accused of working with Beelzebub, with uh, the prince of demons. He was also accused of being a Samaritan at one stage, if you read the Bible. But being a glutton and a wine-bibber, you think, how do they work that one out, you see? But the law, clearly, um, they were referring to the old law of not sitting and eating with gluttons and, and, and wine-bibbers. What is a glutton? Well, you wouldn't know because you're well, well fed in this place. But what is a glutton? Well, the dictionary says this. An excessively greedy eater. An overeater, A gorger. A big eater. A greedy pig. A hog 
A gannet. It gets worse, folks. Are you feeling good? No. <laughs> I'll carry on then. A gut bucket. Human dustbin. A goblin. A guzzler. <sighs> the list goes on. But food and eating to the Jew was a serious business. It was a serious business, was food and eating. I had a Jewish friend of mine, and I've got a lot of Jewish friends, and I said, are you, you know, are you really Jewish? You know, I mean, I, I don't see. He says, I'm only Jewish by food. <laughs> because it's not, and Kat and I were invited to a Passover Seder on Friday. The husband's not a believer, but the wife is, and a whole load of us who are believers were invited, and it was lovely. But even at that Seder, you can see they make a big deal about the food and the ritual that surrounds what they call the Haggadah. The, um, you know, the, the lamb shank, the egg, the parsley, the haroshet, where they dip it in the salt because of the tears that they shed in uh, Egypt. And they have a special chair for Elijah, just in case he comes, you know. I've never seen him yet, but just in case. And all the, 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 the three matzo bread, um, what they call the afikoman, which is the middle. And so, the, you know, it's a whole different sermon, I know. But it's amazing. It's all centered around food and eating. It was serious business. Why? Because it demands the strictest observance for a Jew. And eating and drinking related directly to a Jew's relationship with God. Eating and drinking related to his, relation, his or her relationship with the living God. Everything about food and eating was strictly regulated by the Torah. Under what they call kashrut law. Kashrut is all the laws that, from Leviticus and so forth that regulated how they ate and drank. And it allowed it for two things. For feasting and celebration, and for fasting and observance. Yeah? For feasting and celebration, and for fasting and observance. But to understand a little bit about this background of food, faith and fasting, I'd like to wind the clock back a bit in time. We know that God is the creator. He's the creator of all things. In the book of Acts, in Acts 17, it says, In him we live and move and what have our being. We, in him we live and move our motivation to go and have our being. The creator did that for us. And what did God do when he created man? He placed man, I'd like to say, his pinnacle, his apex creation. He placed man in a fertile garden, didn't he? He placed man in a fertile garden. And man would have lived, lived amazingly. All the things we were praying. You know, I mean, I wouldn't have had to have... Poor Vanessa's had a four-inch cut, has she? That's bad enough. I was cut, an, what they call an envelope, cut from here all the way down to the side. You know, it's like an envelope, you see. Now you see, now you don't. And they took loads of stuff out. But we wouldn't have to go through all of that. Had we not fallen. Man was placed in a fertile garden before the fall. But after the fall, he was placed in a fruitful field. Fertile garden, then in a fruitful field. Most people say, oh, well, it was cursed. Yes, it was cursed. God said you would toil, but it was still fruitful, friends. Because if it wasn't fruitful, we wouldn't live. The father, the maker, his heart is so full of love that even with a fallen creation, he intended it to carry on. Why? Because a plan of action kicked in. You all know that plan of action, of course. But that's what it was. And he taught man to be a good husbandman and a good steward, a farmer. And, um, but sadly, sin has changed 
the way that free provision was to be handled. It was a free provision that God gave. Things grow, don't they? You just put them in the ground and they grow. You water it and God gives increase. We can't make anything grow, but God gives increase, the Bible says. And we know in countries where the, um, um, the what's it called, the crop fails. It's, it's a disaster, isn't it? When the crop fails and you depend upon it. You know, we just go down to Tesco's or Asda or whatever, because they buy in stuff from everywhere. You don't know that, do you? So when they don't get from one supplier, they've got another supplier lined up, because they all want to sell in. But what about countries where they don't have that? When they're just tilling the land? And digging the ground. And when that crop fails, they are gone. They're stuffed, as they say. They've had it. And it's really bad news. And that's why we need to just take note of this whole area of management and caring for the ground. Isaiah 45, 18 says this. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. That's what God did. He created this earth to be inhabited. And he ends up by saying, I am the Lord and there is no other. Friends, this is not an empty world that God created just evolving, you know, out of nothing. You know, what was amazing, the eclipse that we've just had, there's a lot of news about that, wasn't there, recently. I heard a scientist speak about it saying, it's still amazing, even though we have a full eclipse, we still have light. It's the corona that's outside. And do you know what he said? We're still trying to work out the complexity of the sun and this corona because it's only when they have an eclipse can they see this corona. Because you can't take a photograph of the sun, it, it's so strong. But when, the, when it's in full eclipse, you can see the bits around and they've got some amazing patterns. And one bolt that shoots out, it shoots out millions of miles. Can you believe such a thing? I mean, imagine it. Millions of miles, just in one short burst like that. That takes some imagination. And it's an intricate pattern. And they said it's not just an atomic reaction. There is a magnetic pulse going on as well. By virtue of the shape. And they said we still haven't worked it out. Well, that doesn't surprise me, does it? (laughs) There's so much if you listen to all these so-called evolutionary programs. And isn't it amazing how they use words like miraculous and amazingly created. I've, I've heard an evolutionist use that word. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I wonder who, who created that then. It just got created. You know, to create, you need a creator, don't you? Yeah, I've actually written down all these evolutionary phrases and one day I'll bring them, a whole list to you. They will take from the BBC, by the way. That's the broadly biased corporation. It's called the BBC, just in case you want to know them. Pray for the broadly biased corporation. So then... Uh, you know, there's nothing that's uncertain in God's creation. And uh, no evolutionist certainly has shaped it. God, who is a provider, provided the land and he's provided food for us. And God furnished and created his world with a fantastic food fair. So that what we could do, we could feast and have fellowship with our God. We could feast and have fellowship. That was the plan. You know, it's not a quick, you know, run around to Sainsbury's or whatever, although, you know, we do that. But actually, food is meant for a purpose, and we'll see that. Psalm 104 says this. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle, and vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthen man's heart. I mean, just look at the wonderful descriptive 
fellowship language that God uses there. It's fellowship language, isn't it? That's what it is. It's fellowship. It's intimate fellowship language. Wine that makes glad the heart of man. And oil to make his face shine. Oil, you know. In case you're wondering why I've got such a lovely complexion, I use coconut oil every morning. You know, oil of Eulet is not, you know, it's too expensive. So if you want, use coconut oil and you all have a lovely complexion just like me. You really will. You see, food and the eating of it is more than sustenance. It's a divine implicit that stems straight from the heart of God. Because what is it? Fellowship is at the heart of food. Fellowship is at the heart of food. And we've changed it, friends. We've changed it, you know, into something completely different. We've turned it into a complete travesty to what God intended. God walked in the cool of the day. Adam, Adam, where are you? He wanted to have fellowship with him. He wanted to eat with him. He wanted to partake. And Adam wasn't there because Adam had gone in a different direction at that time. How sad. Well, we know that right from the garden onwards that food is um, used in lots of, how shall I put it, in lots of divine tests. And I'm going to throw a few of those divine tests at you. See how well you do. Here are a few of these divine tests. Well, the first test is that food, given by God, food in the Bible, the way we see it, is a test of choice. Food was a test for choice. God did not create man to be a slave, but to be a son. And we know that because he couldn't rightly claim us to be brethren until he done the work. Remember the first thing that Jesus said when he rose from the dead? Go tell my brethren. Isn't that right? We don't hear him using that term before that, do we? But as soon as he'd forgiven, the, the work was done. Go tell my brethren. What a wonderful thing. It wasn't, go tell my brethren. It was, go tell my brethren. It was a great proclamation. Wonderful. Go tell my brethren. And man had a choice right from the beginning. But we've made bad choices. How many of you here have made bad choices? I put two hands up. We are just prone to making bad choices, aren't we? I bet you there's so many stories here. Don't all queue up. There's so many stories here of just the bad choices we made. Some of them we can't even speak about. Isn't that right? Because they just, they yuck. They're bad choices. And we've been doing that from the garden. We've been doing that from the garden. We've made bad choices. You're free to eat of any tree in the garden. And there must have been thousands of them. Of exotic. But of that tree, don't eat. Because in the day you eat, you will die. So what do we do? <laughs> you know, I've just spoke to you about my son Tim, my younger son. He's, he's an absolute peach, you know. <laughs> And when he was literally that high, he could hardly speak. And Kathy's father, who's passed away now, has a big sweet factory in Kozani in the north of Greece. And they used to make these wonderful Greek sweets. Friends, you need to come and see Greek sweets and you really know what real Greek sweets are. And I know we're going to get two amens there, for sure. <laughs> There's wonderful sweets that the Greeks make. And they're biscuity sweets and chocolatey sweets and all manner of things. Of course, they bring them out of the ovens, and they're really hot on these trays. And they put them on a marble top to cool down. And my little Tim is so short, and you can just about get to the marble, and I say, don't touch Tim. It's hot, hot, hot. And he says, yeah, hot, hot. Yeah. 
And then he looks at it and he looks at me. He says, oh, yeah. I said, don't touch. No, hot. And do you know what he does? Then he looks at that and he looks at me and he goes. <laughs> you know, it's that daring thing. Isn't it? He's looking at me and he's saying, what if? And of course he burned his hand. So he had to hurt, learn the hard way. <laughs> and he burned his hand, you know. And we had to put tomato juice on it and all kinds of things. And the poor lad, you know. But we do the things that we are not meant to. Why? Because it says iniquity is bound up in our hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things. And what? Desperately wicked. Friends, that's my heart. And that's yours. It's not that we've gone and got a terrible heart. That's the way it is. It's deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked. Look at the language. That's the heart of Adam that we've got. You know, we've all got a heart condition, friends. If you thought you haven't got a heart condition today, you're wrong. We've all got a heart condition in that way. And that heart condition is worse than having a heart attack or angina or whatever. It's a heart condition. What do we do? You're free to eat, but we ate the forbidden fruit. And what did the forbidden fruit cost us? Our freedom. Cost us our freedom. So instead of caressing the father as a friend... We have shunned him as a foe. He could have been our friend. We shunned him, but then Jesus put it right. And he calls us friends, doesn't he? Because of what he's done. Blessed be his name. Blessed be his name. He has brought friendship. Go tell my friends, he said. Go tell my brethren. Man chose independence from his creator and separation from his only source of sustenance. What was at the heart of man's first choice? Well, I believe it was covetousness. That's really what was at the heart. It was something that man coveted. And I don't like to say Eve, because we're all involved in it. Because that Adam ate from Eve, didn't he? He was just as guilty. <laughs> but it was a woman first. No, anyway. <laughs> but you see, she saw that it was good. She desired it was good. It was desirous. And it was good for food. And it was also good to make one wise. So you see, we crafted our own independence. We, we, we ploughed our own independent furrow straight from that tree. Because that's what we wanted. We want to be independent. And that is true right today. All the people that you hear on the TV, all the, the so-called politicians. I was reading today David Cameron and Ed Miliband's um, statement on Christianity. If you looked at the, the, Premier, the Premier website... It, it tells you what they say. Do you know what they say? They all want to come over and try and win the Christian vote. And they're saying, we believe in the Christian principles of family, whatever. There was not one mention of the name Jesus Christ in there. It's all about with the, all the principles. And of course, the Muslims believe in the same principles. And so the Christians do. Can you say we're all a universal religion? And both, and Ed Miliband, of course, as you know, from a Jewish background... Shame on him that he doesn't believe in the, the faith of his fathers. He doesn't do God, apparently. <laughs> in brackets, he says, no, I don't do God. But of course, he wants to s- seem like he's a good guy. Yeah, I mean, literally about a couple of months ago, I was standing next to Ed Miliband in a, a conference thing, literally with a photograph, to my shame. <laughs> but there you go. These things do happen. These things do happen. So, that's that. Colossians 3.5 links covetousness and idolatry. Because really what we've done, we've made food an idol. 
have you noticed? The great British bake-off and the cook-off and, you know, the way we cook and it should be this way or that way and there's fights going on between all the chefs because we've made food a god. Now, don't get me wrong, I love good food. I'm married to Greek, I should know. It's good. But we've made food a form of idolatry, haven't we? We really have. And it links food uh, or covetousness and idolatry together. Okay, let's move on because I can be here all hour. And thank you for the five hours that you give me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> food was a test of trust. It was a test of trust. Man chose to trust the words of a deceiver and a liar rather than the living God. He chose to trust. And, and here was the fount of all truth in God. But he chose to choose somebody else. Oh, did God say? Did God say? Come on. Now, let's be, come on, we're living in the modern, did God say? And you hear that nowadays, don't you? The same mocking spirit. Come on, you, oh, that's really pushing it, you Christian. Did God say? Surely not. And that's what happened in the garden. That same power source is with us today. Speaking to you every day. Saying to you, did God say? Did God say? When you read the word of God, said, come on. That can't be, come on, you're calling this a Christian. How can you believe all that? Did God say? Well, actually, yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> and it would be good to remain to this word, which is a sure prophecy, the Bible says, which didn't come through any private interpretation of man. And actually, man, what's happened? We are now filled with mistrust of all men, aren't we? We're filled with mistrust. If somebody rings me at six o'clock, hello, Mr. Kumar. I'm just ringing because we're carrying out a survey in your area, Mr. Kumar. We just want to know if you've got windows. And of course, I know they're selling me double glazing. Can you see? Immediately, I'm, I don't trust them. Or somebody from the bank rings you. I mean, immediately don't trust them. Why? Not because I'm a nasty individual. I just don't trust, you know, because you get all this chucked at you. And you know they're using one device to get you to do something else. So in my heart, I don't trust them. Can you see what I mean? I'm sure you're the same. It's true. Because it's the selling techniques that are used these days. So we've learned to mistrust all men, and that's a deeply rooted mistrust. And you know what? Ultimately, we turn it against the living God. We then mistrust him. All that he says, everything that he said about himself, we then turn it against him. And he wants to just draw us to himself, to be his loved possession, and we just mistrust him completely. And shun him. He should have been our friend. We make him a foe. So, look where our food choices have gotten us. Instead of enjoying the feast, what do we do? We reap the famine. Instead of enjoying a feast, we have reaped the famine because of our decisions. So, the next test, it's a test for faith. A test for faith. When there was famine in the land, what did Abraham do? He took his wife Sarah and he went off to Egypt, didn't he? He really should have stayed where he was at Bethel. It was between Ai and Bethel, and it was a bit on a rock and a hard place. They should have stayed there. Bethel was the house of God. But no, because he was hungry. Can you see? When, when you're hungry, you've got to take action. There's nobody here who won't eat something when you're, when you're hungry. You've got to eat because that's the way your body's made. So he decided to go to Egypt. That seemed like a good decision. There's food in them, there are hills. He went all the way to Egypt. And what happened, friends? What did he come out with, apart from a big tummy? He came out with a Sarah 
and a Hagar, didn't he? And look where that's got him. Look what's happened now. Hagar had an Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of, the, of who? The Arab people, yes. Does that say anything to you? And all because of food. <laughs> look what happened. Look where his hunger got him. Into serious trouble. They're still fighting. And one's trying to annihilate the other. What a shame. Food is a test of faith. Where, is your, where are you going to go, friends, when you're hungry? Where are you going to go to get your food? I don't mean the food that goes in your tummy. He brought back big trouble. And that's where you are. And you know also, look at Elimelech. Who, who was Elimelech's wife? Who knows? Come on, tell me. Naomi. That's right. Elimelech with Naomi. And he had two sons. Malon and Shilion. Yeah? They went to Moab because there was food. And isn't it ironic? Where did they just leave? Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Lechem means bread. Bet is house. They left the house of bread to go to Moab for food. Look what happened. Elimelech died. Malon died. Shilion died. And left Naomi all by herself. But friends, God has an uncanny way of turning what seemed to go wrong for bad into something amazing. Because out of that came out a Ruth, didn't, didn't she? She followed a Naomi back. And they found a Boaz. And they got married. And out of them came the great, great, great son who was Yeshua HaMashiach. The, 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 the Messiah of the world. So there's a good part of that, you see. God can turn even things that we do wrong. Which just goes to prove, friends, if you've taken a wrong turn tonight. If you've taken a different direction. If you've gone somewhere else for your food. God can bring you back. He can turn it around. You can't undo the wrong. You can't undo the circumstances and the, the damage it might have caused. But God can turn it around. That's the good news tonight. If you're feeling that way, fear not. God has a wonderful way of bringing you back to the house of bread. Okay, food was a test of stewardship. Who tells us the story best? But a little boy who was imprisoned by his brothers, chucked into a hole, called Joseph. He didn't know what was going to happen. God exhorted this young man in the house of Pharaoh again. Isn't it amazing? Egypt comes up quite a lot, doesn't it? It's a place of bondage. In the midst of bondage, God can do a miracle. He doesn't want you to be there, but if you are there, and if your heart is right, he will do good things. Joseph saved all the grain during the good times, it says. And in the lean times, they all came to the land to have food and grain. And his family came, a very old patriarch, Yaakov, and all his sons, they all came. And uh, they had seed and, and food, and he was able to bless his people. Not only to feed the people of the land, but to feed the chosen people. God will do that, friends. He will not only feed everyone, but he will look after you personally, with personal grain, and give you a sackful, with a reward in the back. <laughs> because that's the way he is. Food was a test of stewardship. How well do we steward the things that God has given you? How well do you do that? I had to ask myself, I'm a man in business. I run an agency. I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a father. A granddad, even. And, uh, you know, how do I steward all these things? I'm asking myself questions all the time. 
Am I doing it for myself? Or have I got God's best interests at heart? I don't always get it right, but, you know, God touches a till every now and then, you know. There's a little bit of the old Asian that t- tries to creep up in there. And I have to say, down with it, go away, terrible. <laughs> I had to kill the Asian. The, the Bible says, you know, death to, to sin. <laughs> I'm afraid it does come up, you have to deal with it. We all have our own battles to fear. So food then was a test of spirituality. We're nearly there, there's a few tests there. How do we know this? Well, what did Esau do? He despised his birthright, didn't he? Over a mess of what? What is that? A mess of pottage. He was so hungry that he didn't care that he was willing to sell his birthright to his younger brother. It should have been Esau. The children of Esau. We sound strange when you say, we think of Jacob, don't we? Israel. But no, it should never have been Jacob. It should have been Esau. But God said, Esau, have I hated because of what he did? We've all got a birthright in God. Did you know that? Every single one of us, if you're a believer here in Yeshua, you have a birthright. And we're to steward that and we're to be spiritual with it and not to despise it. And not trade it in for a mess of pottage. You know, he traded his God-given birthright. All the blessings, the responsibility it entailed. What? For a temporary satisfaction. A temporary portion of something that would only last for a moment. only last for a moment. You know, we now live in a world of, what? Quick fixes. Rapid solutions. A have-it-now, pay-tomorrow mentality. Fast foods. Speedy diners. TV dinners, we, I mean, I don't know where they all come from, but that's true, isn't it? Everything is fast. Everything is, you know, geared to meet our needs. Quick. Why? Because we're too busy with fulfilling our temporal occupations and it's all its related pleasures and needs instead of being occupied with spiritual pursuits that will take us straight into eternity. Friends, we need to stop and think how our day-to-day lives are ordered. You know, Kathy gave me a lovely sticker. Lord, help me to slow down and to think. You know, wives are good like that, aren't they, really? Especially to the blokes, you know, make us all think. And um, it's, it's wonderful. And I thank God for my wife, who really is more than a helpmeet to me. And it's really great that we, you know, can stop and think about all these things. We've become, I don't know about you, but we've become really, yeah, like that fool who, who wants to build a bigger barn. Remember? And what did he want to put in the barn? More grain to store up because he's got all this wealth, you know. And what does, what does the Bible say to him? You fool. Tomorrow what's going to happen? You're going to die. Or tonight even. <laughs> he's going to die. Who knows what's going to happen to us? But isn't it better to store up treasure there? But no, he decided to do it here and nothing happened. Well, the next one. Food was a test for humility. The Pharisees classically demonstrate this. They would not eat with sinners. They would not eat with despised people. And if you're a Samaritan, well, woe betide you. Well, friends, that's not so far removed from the culture that I come from. Coming, being a, well, not anymore, but I came from a Brahmin, Hindu background. That, that was my name's much longer. It has a Brahmin name. And the Brahmins are the priests. They would not eat with the untouchables. If an untouchable went past you, and his shadow casts your food, well, you throw your food away. That's just the way it is. Or a harijan, as they call it. And it's the biggest form of racism under the sun, really. 
It's the biggest form of racism. <laughs> you don't need to be coloured to, to be racist. That is racism, that you're despising your fellow man. And we came, we came across this in India when, um, you know, I mentioned my name and they knew straight away that I came from a Brahmin background. They came like this, like this. It's all this deference. Uh, it's terrible. It really is, because the, the, uh, the, the CEO introduced me um, as being the conference director. Da, 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 and they're going, oh, oh Mr. Mr. Andrew, Mr. Andrew. <laughs> this is the way it is. It's so sad. It's so sad that we got to that place. But I had, to just, I had some lovely conversations, and I ended up going, making cups of tea and bringing it to them, and they, they really didn't know what to do. You know. Here is this Brahmin ministering to us, and I thought, that's what Jesus wants to do, to show you that there is no middle wall of division, that we are one if you're in Christ. But even if you're not, let me minister to you, my friend. So I made some really good friends there, and uh, it's really a great opportunity for me. It's a test of humility that we can eat with anybody. Do you eat with anybody? Do you mind having people around your home? Or are you particular? What about this? Food is a test for labour. It's a test for labour. And you keep them conservative. No, no. It's a test for labour. Proverbs 29.19 says this. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. We can't be frivolous about the things that God gives us. And we are meant to work with our hands to provide for the things that are right. And even Paul, doesn't he? He admonishes the work shy in 2 Thessalonians 3. He says, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ, that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. See, there is a scriptural edict that encourages us to think about work and eat. Why? The labour of the land, you see? It's the labour. You till the ground. It's what you work and you get paid. Nowadays, we don't till the ground so much. We, we work, we get paid, don't we? And um, that's, that's good. You know, I, I, on um, Friday, I think it was, or th- no, Thursday, I had a telephone call from um, a, a chap that I'd been witnessing to and speaking to, he has a faith of sorts. But he's got really suicidal. He lives by himself, and he's rejected by marriage, you know, fell apart, divorced. He's got two children, and the children don't want to come and visit him. And I spent 40 minutes just really counselling him, you know, that. And he says, I, I was just going to take all these tablets and kill myself. He said, but I felt God saying, call Andy Kumar. And I said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> you know... But so I just, you know, just ministered to him. And then he rang me again because I gave him some help. And I, I suggested what he should read for the next day. Because he really couldn't even read the Bible because he couldn't bring himself around to it. You know, his, his heart was so far away. So I suggested he goes to bed, gets up, makes himself a cup of coffee. And he couldn't even get out of bed. That's how bad it is. Anyway, he, he rang me in tears. And um, I just had to help him through and read things. through. But I just, do you know what? I then said to him, what about the work side? Now, he used to work in a BMW dealership. I mean, he was a top salesman. But he doesn't want to do anything else except sell cars. Can you see? I said, well, look, what about going to Tesco's and doing a job there a little bit? Because, you know, clearly he can't handle that. But he won't do it. Can you see how that pride rises up in a man? Even in his darkest hour, he will not succumb. It's terrible, isn't it? He, it, it, it Jaguar. 
or Mercedes-Benz or Aston Martin, but, you know, <laughs> he wouldn't go and do it. Can you see how we get fixed in a mindset and we can't get out of it? It's terrible. But I haven't mentioned names at all because it wouldn't be appropriate. Food was a test for contentment. Proverbs 13.25 puts it like this. The righteous eats to the satisfying of his soul, but the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. You know, they're always going to be discontent when, you know, uh, we're not in God's way. Righteousness dictates a godly life. But the wicked will never be satisfied. They shall always be in want. You know, in Christ, we are satisfied. You may have a very little, but boy, you'll be happy. When Kathy and I got married, we had nothing. Because my mum and dad went to America, we sold everything, given it all to them. <laughs> I didn't even know I was going to get married. If not, I wouldn't have sold anything. I would have kept it all. <laughs> but that's how God planned it. And Kathy's family in Greece, we had nothing, nothing. And God blessed us. And, but we were content. We really were content because we were happiest under the sun because we had the Lord. And that's the way we started life. Food is also a test for self-control. Oh boy, this is a word for me. Proverbs 23, 20 to 21, I believe has a really sobering message about self-control. It says this. Do not mix with wine bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. And drowsiness will clothe the man with rags. We were counselling somebody not so long ago. Because they just love going out and spending all their money on different things. But it's the company that they kept with. Can you see? It's meant to be fellowship with God, but actually we turned it into a human thing. Can you see what I mean? It's fellowship of a different kind, and like minds, you know, meet together, don't they? That's the way. I've got lots of other scriptures, but time won't permit. I must finish. Food was also a test for love. It's a test for love. It's a last test. Proverbs twenty-five twenty-one says this. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head and the Lord will reward you. It's a test of love. When you give food to somebody, it's a loving act. Did you know that? When you're feeding somebody. Give your neighbour some food. Take a pot of jam over there or something. It really does work. It really does work. Because there is, in your practical giving... There's a wonderful bridge that you do. And food has been used so often. You know, Jesus was hated by his enemies, wasn't he? But what did he give them? He gave them bread. Didn't he? Not only did he break bread and gave them, he also gave himself and he said, I am the bread of life. Jesus was hated by his enemies. But what did he do? He gave them all bread, friends. He gave them bread. He gave them himself. He was the bread of life. And um, that's why, that's why it says, unless you eat the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no part in you. Can you see? You're not meant to drink, eat flesh and drink, literally drink blood. What he meant was, take me in, absorb me, eat me for who I am. Because if you don't, you have no part in me. No part in me. You may know about him. We may come to churches, may sit like this, but you won't have any part in him. In our opening um, text, we read about a comparison, didn't we, between John the Baptist and Jesus. Of John, you know, allegedly being demonised, and, and Jesus cast as this terrible glutton and wine-bibber character. And, you know, the world will always draw its own conclusions based upon, 
what they see. So if they look upon you, they're going to draw a conclusion. They certainly will. They see you as a bit of a funny, zany character if you're speaking about Jesus all the time. Um, but John, of course, as we know, was the last prophet of the old covenant. The old covenant. The Chadashah, the old covenant. Under Moses. He came, what, with a message of repentance and fasting for Israel's sin. John, the last prophet of the old covenant. Jesus was the first prophet of the new covenant. He was the first prophet of the new covenant. And he came with a message of restoration and feasting. He did. Because he himself said, you can only feast while the bridegroom is here, didn't he? And he was there. And we know the very first miracle that he did was at where? A wedding. It's a feast. And please don't tell me he sat there all doleful and moanful saying, oh Jesus, get up and dance. It's Bill Haley and the Comets. Come on. No. He would have taken a part in tradition. When he went to the synagogues, he wore tefillin and he wore a talit and a kippah. And he would have had phylacteries. He would have done. He was a rabbi. They wouldn't have let him in. When Paul went to the synagogues, he did exactly the same. Friends, he didn't go with the Church of England robes on, did he? <laughs> he went as a rabbi. And they wouldn't have allowed him to speak if he wasn't correctly adorned. He had his talit and all those things because he was a Jew, for goodness sake. Come on. And Jesus was at this wedding and he was feasting there and he brought the best wine at the end. You'd think they wouldn't do that because the best wine is actually quite strong, isn't it? When they were all being sozzled, Jesus gave them more. <laughs> but the thing is, we need to drink the best wine, not the cheap stuff. Not your Sainsbury's, Tesco's takeaway, the real good stuff. That's what it is. Jesus gives it to you. John was the forerunner who, what did he do? He exposed Israel's hypocrisy and falsehood, didn't he? By preparing the way for a lamb who would be offered as the perfect Passover sacrifice. Yeshua, Jesus, was that perfect Passover lamb, offered for the sins, not only of everybody in this room, but for Israel and for the whole world. And for all those who might be listening, if this is being taped, he, he certainly uh, offered that to all of you. And that's why Jesus, as the at the Last Supper meal, said what? In John six fifty three, Most assuredly, I say to you, most assuredly, that's a, a real implicit, most assuredly, I say to you, or verily, verily, in the authorised version, isn't it? I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. We touched upon that just a little while ago, didn't we? Unless we do that. And there's a familiar maxim that says, we are what we eat. <laughs> we are what we eat, don't we? Aren't we? We become what we eat. It's true. We are what we eat. And um, that's why Christ wants us to spiritually digest him. Because we become what we eat. With the food that we have will become us. Can you see how it all works? All these tests. It all goes to point that we need to digest him. He, and how do we have him? He's given it to us. There's the food. That's my, he said, that's my food and drink. What? To do the will of the one who sent me. That's, he said food and drink, didn't he? That's my food. He didn't say, that's my great ministry. That's my great calling. He said, that's my food. To do the will of him that sent me. It's a wonderful thought, isn't it? It's a wonderful thought. And unless you do that, dear ones, you won't have a witness. You won't have anything to offer. 
and you know, eating a, a piece of bread or drinking a bit of wine, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, in a ritual way that we do, will become meaningless because it won't mean anything. That's why we need to take Yeshua in the Passover sacrifice into our lives. And I really have come to the end here. John six thirty five does say, "I am the bread of life." He's the Melech. He's the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Why? Because the bread that he gives keeps you going. It's not something you get hungry after a while because it comes out. What goes in stays. That's why it's so important, you know, what we say comes from within, doesn't it? The Bible says that. We actually, we, we say things because they're stored up in there. And are they good things or bad things? I have to say, I've said terrible things to people. I've thought terrible things. And I've contemplated. And I know that there's nothing good in there. Why? Because the heart is deceitful <laughs> and desperately wicked. But when I have Christ, there's a measure that comes against it. I was talking to today, actually, to somebody who was so angry about somebody. That was so angry that he was using bad words. And I said, your anger is not going to help you. It's not going to help you. You've got to learn to love. No, I'm not going to use terrible words against this person, <laughs> which are not repeatable. As Simon and Garfunkel said, they're words that are not in the Bible. <laughs> but I was praying just to reason with this person to say, doesn't matter what you think, you've got to learn to use the Spirit of Christ, however hard that is, because Christ gives us a different view on it. It's a different kind of food that you're giving out to the world. Okay then. Jesus began his ministry, we know, at a wedding feast with food and drink and showed us that the best wine, as I said, is both. It's two things. It's miraculous and it's worth waiting for. It's miraculous and it's worth, it came right at the end. And you could have missed it. You could have gone before, you could have left. You could have gotten in coach and horses and gone and you would have missed the best wine. Friends, don't miss out. It's worth waiting for. So if you're going through some hard times, a bit of sickness and whatever, just hang in there, because the best wine is yet to come. And who knows, God might even take us. He might do. And you're going to have the best wine there, because Jesus said, I won't eat of this until I do it with you. When? In eternity, isn't that right? And that's a fantastic thing. And it also ends with a wedding feast. We begin Jesus' ministry with a wedding feast. It ends in the book of Revelation, doesn't it? With a great wedding feast, a banquet in, the, in that millennium time that the Father's prepared for the bride and the groom and guess what he's he won't eat he won't start he won't start until you're there he won't start and have a little nibble he won't have a quick little swig waiting for you he's waiting because i will not do it until i do it afresh with you as always you've been very gracious and listen but let's just pray and um I just want to pray for several folk here tonight who I, I just feel are just battling this whole area of choice and what to do in the future. There's a whole choice battle going on. And uh, you're really at your wit's end and at a, at, a, at a loss. I just want to pray for those folk here tonight. I just feel so strongly in my spirit with people with some difficult choices. While we're, just while we're in prayer, just, just put your hand up if that's you and put it down again. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, there's probably a lot more people, I know. There are some difficult choices we have to make. Let's just pray for that first. Lord, I do thank you that when we're given choices, 
We have always made the wrong choice because of our nature. But I thank you, in Christ Jesus, you have given us your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, that we might be led into all truth, and that we might see as your Spirit sees. Give us those eyes, but more than that, give us the heart of the Spirit. Lord, it's a heart from another world. It's a heart from another dimension that we may take spiritual steps and spiritual decisions and help us with our choices. And Lord, we know, all of us know that we have to make choices the moment we leave this hall, tomorrow, the day after. And there'll be difficult choices that'll come to so many of us. Help us to stand firm for the truth. And Lord, to eat from the bread of life and to feast only at your table. Lord, I pray for those people who are carrying uh, burdens of real sickness in this room and people who we've been praying for and uh, Lord, for people who've got latent conditions. I just pray in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you will stretch out your hand. Oh, Master, just as that woman touched you at that very significant moment and you knew straight away that virtue had flown out of your body. Lord, I just pray in that same matchless name, that you will bring healing into this room. Lord, that you will touch my own body. And Lord, that you will touch the bodies of other people here, who are all looking to you in faith this evening. That you would answer prayer, because you're a God of love. And now, Lord, Lord I just pray for people who have got difficult relationships. Lord, I know there are at least one or two people here, Lord, I know who just are in, in a quandary because of some hurt and some disagreement that's happened in the not-too-distant future. And Lord, that's just playing on their heart. Just thank you, Lord, as we heard today, that you will give us a, a big heart of forgiveness. Just as Jesus forgave and gave bread to his enemies, help us, Lord, to give bre the bread of life to our enemies, to those who despise us, to those who use us and abuse us. Dear Lord, we can retaliate, but there's something bigger. He's called Jesus, who does not retaliate, but he uses divine wisdom and love. And Lord, he sees an eternal purpose at the end. Help us, Lord, to be like that. Help us not to deal with our own issues at the moment of need. Help us to see the bigger need. Help us, Lord, to see beyond the anger, beyond the hurt and beyond the pain tonight, that your healing will come to us. And Lord, we also just pray for whatever Tom's ministering to, Lord, in, in, tomorrow at this service. Lord, that you give our brother real wisdom with his family. Lord, families are the hardest people to reach. Lord, that you will give him the words of the wise, that you will just empower him mightily. As we pray that prayer in faith, we send it across the, the seas, across the, 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 the lands, right into that place, Lord, it, where they're meeting. That he will be so empowered and know the freedom and the liberation of the Spirit. Dear Lord, and we bring all our hearts to you now and thank you that your word will have entrance and bring light. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Amen, friends. Thank you so much. Bless you.